I love the show and I love how much more I'm educated about managing my money. My question is how can I get my women friends and family members to do the same? They are all hesitant and don't make the time to listen to podcasts or look at the companies I recommend like Pension B. They put it off and say they will look at it when they're old or are worried about perceived risk of investments. Do you have any tips? Hello, welcome to The Wallet. I'm Emily Billet, founder of Vespod and author of You're Not Broke, You're Pretty Rich. And every week with my brilliant guests, we give you the best tips, guidance, and a good dose of inspiration and motivation to manage your money better. We want you to feel confident in saving more, earning more, and investing for the long term. Today, we're back with an episode of The Hotline, where we answer your burning questions about money. And remember that if you'd like to participate, send me a voice note at emilyatvespot.com or follow the links in the show notes. We'd love to hear your proud money moments, your questions and comments. As always, always join us on vespot.com for events, workshops and lots of free money resources. In today's episode, we answer an anonymous question. Our listener says she finds our podcast and workshops very helpful, but wishes her female friends and family would be equally keen to discuss money matters. Broaching the topic of money can feel tricky, so I invited Wells coach and Vespert friend Sarah Maxwell to discuss how to best open up the conversation in a positive and uncontentious way. So today on The Wallet, for many people, talking about money can feel extremely uncomfortable. So we look at the reasons why that is and how we can overcome our money-related fears. There's often a tendency to procrastinate when it comes to addressing our personal finances, So Sarah shares her tips on how to motivate yourself and tackle that money to-do list. We also discuss the role that money plays in people's happiness, as well as how to start a conversation about money and investing with friends without the shame. I hope you enjoy it. I'd also just like to say a quick thank you to our sponsor, Pension B. Pension B has helped over 500,000 customers be pension confident. It enables savers to take control of their finances by helping them transfer their old pensions together into one simple online plan. With Pension B, you can manage your pension like you manage your bank account, check your real-time balance, your projected retirement income, and set up contributions and withdrawals all from the palm of your hands. Plus, you'll get human support from your very own UK-based account manager, or as Pension B calls them, Beekeeper. You can sign up to Pension B today with the names of your old pension providers in just five minutes. And if you're self-employed, you can start a new pension from scratch. As always with investments, your capital is at risk. Please note that we are not certified financial advisors. The articles and information made available on Vespod and this podcast are provided for information and educational purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Hello, Sarah. Hi. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Nice to see you. I mean, I saw you last night at our workshop on ethical investing, and today you're here as an expert to talk about <laughs> to talk about money and how we talk about money. If we can maybe start by talking about you and your your journey, because today you're more of a money coach, so helping people with their money mindset. But you have a big career actually in finance and as a financial advisor. So can you tell me more? you know, where, where you come from and what's, um, 
what's your mission, please? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love talking about my mission because my mission is really the reason why I founded Wealth Coach. And that is to bring color, energy and joy to the world of finance and money. And you're right, sort of having spent 20 years in the more traditional area of financial services, I really felt like a bit of a round peg being sort of hit headfirst into a square hole because I didn't really feel like myself in that environment. It was almost like you needed to be gray or, or blue or needed to be a certain way to be to be trusted and at certain ways of representing yourself, which I always felt weren't truly me. And I always felt then that actually I probably wasn't connecting with the people that I really enjoy to work with. And I think there's a huge gap in money and finance for joy, for something which does actually connect you to money in a meaningful way, in a way that actually can focus on your life's vision instead of just the products that you should take out or the things that you should do with your money. So I'm really excited to be talking to you today. And I love what you're doing as well, which is which is fantastic. And the idea that you are really here and your mission is to get women more money. I mean, that is fantastic <laughs> and huge. So so I think that the two missions are both equally as good. Yeah. So thank you for having me here. And I loved ethical investing yesterday. It was really fantastic. And I'd absolutely recommend if you do it again for, for people to attend. It was brilliant. Great. Um, and I mean, I can see Sarah, you can't see her, but her room is, is full of like bright <laughs> frames and photos. She wears an orange jumper. And I think that's, that's also your touch. And, and when we, when we, you know, think about money, talk about money, we often, I mean, for a lot of us, it's like, you know, maybe she's greedy, money. Some people can feel like money is bad. Um, so there's a lot, a bit of work to do on, um, on mindset. And, and so li listening to this, to this question from, from our listener about how can we talk about money? So our listener is asking, you know, I've been trying to talk about money with my friends, with my family. They don't want to. And then I'm worried that they will sort of wake up in five years time, 10 years time and be like, oh, no, you know, I, I, I haven't done these things. I haven't put money into my pension and have some sort of, of regrets. Why is it so hard to talk about money? According to oh, you. there's so many reasons. And I actually did a, an Instagram episode on, on this recently because it's it's such a big thing. Talking about money is a taboo. It feels hard for us for, for many different reasons. A lot of them stem from the beliefs that we were brought up with. So messages like, oh, you should never talk about money. It's rude to ask somebody what they earn. It's rude to talk about how much money somebody has. There's kind of all of these assumptions that are made and handed to us around the embarrassment of talking about money, around the embarrassment of being judged about money. So, you know, we all kind of have fears of judgment of certain things and, and money just seems to be an absolutely huge subject that people can carry a lot of shame about actually. And that's not necessarily like you might expect people to carry shame for certain reasons, like having a lot of debt or some of the sort of real obvious reasons that people may feel 
shame about money, but actually people can feel shame and judgment around money for having too much, for having that responsibility of not knowing what to do with it or feeling that they should be doing something with it and they don't understand it. So I think there are, it's so tightly wound in the whole don't talk about it. It causes lots of judgment that we kind of almost don't talk about it. And I know even I've talked about this before when even in my friendship group, you know, we probably talk about everything else before we talk about money. Like money is that last taboo that nobody wants to mention for so many different reasons. I think the conversation has has evolved a lot. And I I saw it from, you know, setting up Vespod maybe five, six, six years ago to today. And now, you know, people open up about debt, they open up about their investments, a lot more about finances but there's still some you know some tricky topic like maybe financial privilege or you know shame and and stuff like that what do you think are are people main you know financial worries or or beliefs or maybe the stories they tell themselves about money when you talk with your with your clients usually what are their their stories they can be so far ranging the the stories that we tell ourselves about money. So ranging from there'll never be enough to I'll never have money. I can never earn money. Once I have money, it's gone. Like as soon as I get some money, there's a, a reason for me to spend it. So there's so many beliefs that we are given along the way. So When we're children, we are handed beliefs by our parents and caregivers at school, in our friendship groups, when we start working, you know, throughout our entire life, we're given these beliefs that are not our own, but the places that we then sort of spend our time in almost compounds and confirms those beliefs. So until we start to question them, until we start to ask the question of, is this belief actually useful for me and my life. So we're sort of becoming aware of what these beliefs are and whether they are positive or negative to us. We're not even really aware of them. They're just kind of in the background and we act out our lives and they could be holding us back. So I think the first step there is around just an awareness, you know, noticing those beliefs that you have about money and deciding whether they do actually work for you or not because there's some beliefs that are great that are really empowering that are you know brilliant for your life and um and how you handle money but there are some which are really not useful and can hold you back so for instance me personally sort of in my family there was always a there's never enough type of belief so you know we'll be happy when such a thing is paid off or you know that's quite expensive money doesn't grow on trees is a, is is a big one so when you're given that message it takes quite a while to unpick it and decide that actually there is enough and actually this is how i show myself that there is enough so you're giving yourself that security to reform that belief into something more positive and how do you sort of overcome this you know fear of even like thinking about money, I think for some people, they're like, you know, I, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. I'm not ready to maybe see an advisor or see a coach or, or even look daily into my, you know, bank balance. Or if you're at this stage, how can you then get to the next stage? Because it's, it's a journey. So from 
you know, starting to save and, and being aware and, and in control of your finances to being in a great position where you feel money is abundant. You can negotiate your salary. You can increase a good portion every month. How do you get people to start and then to, you know, carry on their financial journeys? Yeah, it can feel hard at first, especially if you're used to not opening the post or not opening your bank account or, you know, not looking at it because you, you're concerned about what might look back at you. One of the things that I find really useful and that I do with many of my clients is have them actually draw it out on a piece of paper. So relatively, basically just putting it in shapes. So essentially you might draw a circle of what's in your bank account. You might draw a few circles of where the debt is and what it looks like. You might draw a circle of anything that you own. So whether that's a property or a car or anything else, you're essentially just drawing a, a picture of, and you're putting the numbers in there. So it's just a way of seeing everything in one place. And you might put a line through the middle. So everything that goes above the line are things that you own and everything that goes below the line are things that you owe. So essentially you're just seeing that picture in one place for the first time. And that first time that you look at it is almost a little bit like sometimes tearing the plaster off. So yes, you are staring it in the face. Yes, there are some things that you might like to change. You might have a shape which has a pension figure in there, which is a few hundred pounds. And you would like that to look much bigger. So actually reflecting on that and looking at it for the first time feels difficult. But seeing that as a first step, seeing the first step as everything in one place and looking at it is is a fantastic first step. I mean, I, I have a document that kind of does that w with clients, but you know, for anybody that's listening that just kind of wants to draw it all out and take that first step, it's really useful. You can put it on the wall. You can write notes on it. You can put priorities on there for what you'd like to focus on. But what it helps you to do is putting it all in one place means that you can prioritize. If actually that pension figure feels like a priority, you can really look at that first. If there's a credit card on there that has a really high interest rate and that feels like a priority, you can focus on that first. So I think the key is being able to see everything in one place for the first time and then use that in order to start to take any actions. And, and why do you think we, um, we sometimes procrastinate when it comes to, to managing money? Because, you know, it's, it's always on your to-do list, but you're like, yeah, that's okay. I'll do it this weekend. I'll do it next month. I mean, a good tip that someone gave me is a, uh, really have some money dates with you in your calendar. So maybe you know, one Saturday a month or, you know, one Saturday or a quarter, review your numbers. But if you have other tips in terms of, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm really motivated. And I know it's, it's a lot about habits, like, you know, everything else in life, but like any tips that will help people to, um, yeah, go back to it and really like measure how they're improving over time. Yeah, that's a, such a good point. And I think there's many things to say about this. A great one, as you say, is creating money dates. So making that space and time in your diary, which you've got focus to doing just that. So there's nothing else that you should be doing. It's simply the tasks that you've 
put on your list to do in that amount of time. The other thing is making the steps really, really ultra small. So you're creating some habits and some progress and you're tracking your progress, but you're making it so small that it's so easy. I don't know whether you've read the James Clear book, Atomic Habits, but that goes into serious detail about making the habits super easy, super small, stacking them together, because over time, the compounding effect of those habits is better than sort of setting out one day a year when you look at your finances and it it feels all difficult because you can't even remember last year when when you looked at it. So doing something, even doing something every day when you're starting out. So even if you're setting yourself a task to read an article about pensions or listen to a podcast about money, listen to a Vestpod podcast, obviously. But, you know, setting those tasks, which you can kind of do as part as everyday life, but ticking them off. So you're kind of giving yourself that, okay, I did that. I did that task. So making them small enough that they are easy. And then over time, your knowledge will grow. And actually, you probably become more interested in it. So once you then start to really understand it and do more of it, you will actually think, oh, I really want to read that article tomorrow. In fact, I'll, I'm going to read it now because it's really interesting. So starting small is absolutely huge and, and setting the, the time aside, I think is is also really big. And, you know, maybe working with a professional in, in some sort of capacity to kind of help you tear that plaster off in the first instance. So getting some support, whether that's a coach or a financial advisor or even a friend. So sort of getting yourself an accountability partner a friend where you checking in once a week, you know, did you do those three tasks that you set for yourself? Because there's kind of nothing better than telling somebody else that you're going to do something to make sure that you've done it. I think the accountability you're right is, um, is, is really important. And, and I think that's, you know, when you're a business owner or you're a freelancer, that's usually, or even when you're a full-time employee, I mean, you have all these goals at work, you know, you have to achieve certain budget, you have your business plans, you have your KPIs. But unfortunately, we, we usually don't have that in our personal life. So we just, you know, we just forget about these things. And and putting this in place, even if we are super busy and we don't have time to do these things, they're actually really helping. Definitely. And also like reflecting back on what you've done. So I think it's really important to track your progress. So to look back at the note that you made on day one. So to look back at that picture of all your finances and how you felt about it three months later, after you've been taking these small tasks, you'll be able to amend that hugely. Your understanding will be deeper. You'll really notice the difference between the you that started the journey and the you that's here now. So reflecting back and keeping records is is really, really useful. I notice with clients sometimes when they send me sort of six sheets of information when they start to work with me and after four sessions, we reflect back on them and sometimes they can't believe that what they actually came to achieve, they've already achieved. They've almost forgotten the person that walked through the door at the start of the relationship because they now know more. So it's the same if you're doing this work yourself because you actually want to remind yourself how far you've come in any period of time. So the money dates are a great time to to look back at the progress that you've made and celebrate the progress that you've made. So, you know, give yourself a treat because of the progress that you've made. So celebrate the fact that yeah, you have put the work in, you have really found out what you wanted to know when you started out this work. I think that's also really important. 
And what does success look looks like for you in terms of helping clients? I mean, I guess it's it's quite personal, but is it them having more money <laughs> at the end of the game, having you know more money in their pensions, being able to start saving? I mean, yeah, what is success when you when you work as a as a as a money coach? It's them getting what they want. So I would never decide what they should have. And that's why I choose coaching instead of advice. Obviously, as you know, I'm a qualified financial advisor and I could operate in that environment, which is more of the sort of telling, but I would much prefer to work with people who come to me. They know how they'd like to feel. They know how they'd like money to be for them. And we work together to make that happen. And I think what is important is that somebody really takes the time to think about what they ultimately want to achieve from doing the work, which is very different to what they should want and what people, friends and family, work colleagues tell them they should want. So I think creating a vision which looks good for you is ultimately important, but also understanding. So first of all, understanding what you have. Second of all, understanding what is available to you. So being educated and and understanding what you can have, but also, and the most important one is what you want, what actually you want, not what you should want or what other people want, but what you want. And that's a huge part of the work actually, because I do quite a lot around people's vision and their initial vision when they get to it and we do some visualization and we do some walking through it, they get there and they go, this isn't mine. This isn't, I don't even want to be in this vision. Those things that I told you that I wanted, they're actually not what I want, but they've spent so long being told that this is what you should want. You should want to own a house. You should want to do these things that they have almost taken them on as their own vision, but then working through it, it can change. So it's subject to change and and also sort of noticing that as you become more educated about what you want, your vision becomes clearer and the steps to take between the now and your future vision become a lot clearer. I love what you say about having your own vision, because I think when you don't sort of stop, look at the big picture, sort of switch off from, you know, tech and computers and phone. Your vision for life is sort of this vision that you're going to borrow from what you're seeing, you know, from the news, from your neighbors, from your friends. And you don't necessarily take the time to to think about, you know, yourself and and what you want. And that, that brings me to another question around money and happiness and, and how, money can bring joy. I mean, you know, there's often this like research piece around money and happiness and that, you know, people reach like peak happiness at around $70,000 salary. Now they've shown that actually having more money can make you more happy. So I think this number is very subjective <laughs> to anyone, but, but for you, how does money bring joy? Because I believe that, you know, money brings joy, um, you know, to a certain extent, of course, but what is, what is your view about, you know, money and joy? And I know that's a big part of your work. Yeah. And it's such an interesting question because I think you can have somebody who has not very much money 
and they can still be very happy because they're comfortable. They have the life that they choose. They're living a life that feels like themselves versus somebody who on the face of it looks like they have it all. They have lots and lots of money. They have lots of investments. They have a very successful career, but actually they're not actually happy because they're not living their true life and and true happiness. So I think that money can bring you joy, but you need to figure out what is important to you about money. There isn't a figure, there isn't a level. You know, I know people, I've I've worked with people at every single level of money. I've worked with with people who, you know, have lots and lots and lots of money. And I wouldn't say that they are happier than somebody who doesn't because it's actually creating the space, creating the mindset, creating the the beliefs that work for you and your life and being rooted in what is actually good for you rather than the shoulds. So I guess maybe there's no maximum, but there's, I mean, I guess for, for a lot of people, there's also a minimum, of course, we're talking about, I mean, still being privileged, having a, you know, having a roof over your head. And, and that's, you know, how, yeah, improving, improving your mindset more, more than thinking about, you know, really struggling to repay, uh, repay your debt. Definitely. And, you know, I talk about this in a certain way. So I talk about this in terms of balance in the the income, however that is received, comes in. And obviously, the the very first thing that it needs to cover is your essentials. So so your costs of, you know, being being alive, staying warm and and being fed. So, so all of your essentials. And it's only then that those essentials are covered that you can think about the opposite sides of the balance. So you've got one side of the balance, which is joy and having a joy spend. So making sure that you are actually getting some joy out of the day-to-day spending of your money. And then the other side is growth. So looking at what you actually intend to to do with your money for a future you, whether that's investing in yourself, whether that's investing in particular products like pensions or ISAs or bank accounts for emergency funds, kind of whatever that looks like. But it's getting the balance that that works for you. But the first thing in that balance, you're absolutely right, is essential. So the the need for us to feel like our essential costs are met is huge. And that obviously has has a massive bearing on on being able to feel secure, really. And then once we, we understand where we are, we sort of have a plan, we have, you know, our vision. Investing, I personally believe, should be part of it, you know, for, for most of us, because investing will help you actually achieve your long-term goals instead of, you know, only saving. I think it, you know, the, the, we talk about, you know, reckless caution, keeping money in cash on a bank account that's paying you zero, almost zero percent. But then it can feel risky to invest money, maybe because, you know, we don't necessarily have the education, maybe because of how the the financial industry is, you know, portrayed. But how do you help your clients, like being in the right mindset to start investing money? I think that that is down to how much you actually want to know about investing. So it's perfectly fine to not be interested in investing. So it's perfectly fine to decide that actually you don't want to learn about investing in the stock market. You don't want to learn about lots and lots of different ways of investing. But what is really important is exactly as you've just said, the knowledge that if you are holding 
money in cash, then that is devaluing every day. Because as we know, inflation at the moment is like approaching 5%. And you've just said, you know, bank accounts, they're sitting at 0.0 something. So the money that you're saving is actually devaluing over time. So there is a, a need to invest that even just to try to to reach what's being taken from your money with with inflation. So I think that you don't need to be super interested in investing, but learning the basics, I think is is really key. I think is really key and really important. And, and I know you do classes and I think you will will do a course on that. And I think just sort of getting that base level understanding is really important so that you can actually know the options available to you so that you can understand the different types of products so that you can understand the difference between an ISA and a pension you know those sort of very basic levels just understanding the difference between the two to allow you to make the decisions if you want to make the decision but also in the knowledge that once you know that information you don't have to make the decision. You can then go to a financial advisor if you want to. You know, if you really don't want to find this information out yourself and do it yourself, you can use a human being to do it. So I think it's kind of knowing yourself and knowing your own level of interest and getting to understand the basics. I mean, it's it's awful that we're not taught these things in in school because they're such they're such a re- required learning you know and I think I get people asking me all the time oh this is a really silly question but and I always say nothing is a silly question because you're coming from the standpoint of having not been given this information or actually worse being given this information in a really confusing way so the really thick statement that lands in your letterbox because you've got a pension through your employer which you open and you think, well, that's just going to get filed straight in the drawer because it looks really confusing and there's just too much information. So, yeah, I mean, asking all the questions, I think, is probably the first step. Ask what you don't know. Nothing is a silly question. And then I think, you know, the, the initial question that we had today was, you know, how do we start the conversation with family and friends? Today, I wanted to show that today is a is an example of a conversation that we had. You know, it's, I think we were just speaking quite candidly, openly about money, no financial jargon. And, and I think it's, you know, there's a few things there on how you can start a conversation. So it doesn't need to be a bit about big numbers. It doesn't need to be about how much you earn, but it's maybe more about how you feel. What are the things you're saving for? Maybe apps, maybe around the learning. So Maybe for, for you, Sarah, how do you invite your clients to start the conversation? I know you, you work a lot with couples um, also, and I guess it's when maybe the conversation hasn't started or is a bit broken uh, in terms of, you know, talking about money. So how can, can they start these conversations like together, maybe with their families and with people around them? Yeah, I think first of all, it's creating that safe environment that's really key. So I think sort of setting up the conversation and actually saying the words, you know, I'm not going to judge 
you for for what you say. This is almost a, a safe environment between us. We're just trying to have this open conversation so that we can understand each other a little better. So instead of coming from the I'm right, you're wrong or you're wrong, I'm right, you're coming from the let's just ask some questions. Let's just start the the conversation going. And the way that I usually um, start working with couples is we start to explore each other's relationship with money. So we start to think about the messages that they were given in their different households, you know, where they were brought up. And what is astonishing when, when working with couples is that very often one or the other has made assumptions about the the person's past money beliefs. And actually, when they start to discuss them, they are very, very different. And you can then start to see this sort of level of dropping in of understanding, oh, oh, okay, I didn't actually realize that that was how your mum spoke about money. Oh, I didn't actually realize that that was the way that it used to be because they're not really discussions that we have. So sort of coming in on the relationship angle to try to understand why each other feels the way that we do. So that could be between couples, it could be between friends, it could be between family members, but actually just trying to really understand where they're coming from first before you start to ask the really the bigger questions about how much and all the practical elements of, you know, where is it? Do you understand it? All of that kind of thing. So coming in on the more sort of relationship level, I think is really useful. So you're starting to create that safe space for the conversation of learning about each other rather than anybody needing to be right or wrong or anybody needing to have a better understanding than the other. Because in any relationship, one person will be labeled with one label and the other person will be labeled with another. And it's usually spender, saver. And once you've got those labels, it's like they stick. So actually just lifting those labels and starting to really talk about our emotions around money, where they came from, how we feel, and also then starting to talk about, okay, how do we want the future to look? Because when I work with couples, sometimes that future at first looks very different. So there's some compromises that need to be made and just opening up that conversation, first of all, so that people can understand each other is really powerful. And I think that goes for anybody that wants to start opening up the discussion about money. And perhaps instead of mentioning the actual names of the products, we use words like future because even the word pension, sometimes someone can go, oh, I don't understand anything about pensions. I, you know, let's not talk about it. Whereas if you're asking that, oh, like, what do you think you'd want to do in retirement? You know, or how will your life look? Do you think you'll have a portfolio career? Like how, you know, so starting to ask those softer questions, I think, help with the opening up. And, and what about, I mean, this is all really, really useful in creating this like safe space and looking together at, at goals instead of looking at, at products. And how can we start the conversation more with like friends or talking to maybe our parents and telling, you know, if you've been investing money, you know how it works, you understand how great it can be. It's fascinating. And I think that's the question we get today is, is how, I mean, you don't want to convince your friend because it shouldn't be your role. And we all in like different, like personal situation, but how can you share in a positive way, like what you've learned about money without sounding too patronizing or, or like, you know, you're teaching others something. It's, it's more like sharing 
why you believe it's such a great thing and that they should lo- look into it. So what are the, the things you would uh, you you would tell your friends? I think you've just said it really beautifully there in that sharing why it's been so good for you is a great start. Mm-hmm. So instead of saying, this is what I'm doing, you should do it. You could say, this is what I'm doing. I've learned so much. Here's what I've learned. Do you want to know some more? So I think testing the temperature is really important because if somebody is not ready to think about it, no matter how hard you try or how much you encourage them, they just don't want to talk about it. So I think there's a a huge part to sort of testing the temperature, seeing where they're at, letting them feel that you're not attempting to pry. You're not attempting to tell them what to do. You've just had such a fantastic experience you want to share it with them so coming from the angle is I'm just sharing how good this has been for me instead of you should do this I think automatically invites them to want to know more so you are showing instead of telling and I think there's a a real difference between the two and it's super helpful to show and to then gauge somebody's interest rather than oh my goodness you should do this you know get onto this site take out this pension do this do that do the other because that will be too much for somebody who is who is just not ready to have that conversation yet yeah and it may not be right for them i think there's a big push at the moment about getting people and especially women to invest money but we're all in different situations. We all have a you know, different relationship with risk. We may have completely different goals. So, you know, there's as many investors as many women on, on this planet. So it's it's really trying to be careful uh, and have like, you know, positive and sort of like mutual conversations about um, investing also. Absolutely. You know, if, if I'm saving because I want to buy a house in, in two years, then my investment decisions are going to be very different to a friend who already has a house, who is putting all of her spare money into a pension. So if she comes and talks to me about her pension and how great it is and how I should be investing more in my pension, you know, it's fine for me to say, well, actually, you know, I'm putting a percentage in my pension, but my priority is saving for the deposit of a house. So I think that's the difference, isn't it? We can sing about what is wonderful for us, but actually that might not be the the right thing for the person that we are talking to. So yeah, you make a really good point there. Sarah, thank you so much. Do you have a final word for us, a final tip (laughs) that you know, you can share with the Vespot community? I think it would have to be just the power of starting to open up. So even if that is just opening up to yourself, so literally starting to write some notes around how you feel about money is the first step. Whether you then choose to open up to a trusted friend or a family member or a professional person like me or somebody else. Um, but I think just starting that process of opening up and getting to know what you really want. So just really really just starting. So starting with those smaller habits, as I said, you know, setting yourself some small goals, which you can accomplish, tick off and say, brilliant, I did that. Now I can go on and and do some more. So yeah, I think, yeah, there's, do you know what? There's so many I could say to you that I could literally (laughs) chat to you for kind of the rest of the evening about it. But I think just making a start, starting now, don't wait any longer. Yeah. But uh, so we'll, we'll see you again at festival events and stuff. We have a lot of things planned for next year. Uh, in the meantime, where, where can we find you? If you could share your website and maybe your Instagram, yeah. um, that'd be super useful. 
Absolutely. So my website is wealth-coach.co.uk and my Instagram handle is at yourwealthcoach underscore. So if anybody wants to give me some feedback or connect or ask any questions, I would love to connect with your community. And thank you so much for inviting me on today. I've I've really enjoyed chatting to you. (laughs) Thank you so much, Sarah. All right. Thank you. you Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the hotline in the wallet today. Please share with a friend and subscribe or leave a review on Apple podcast. Also, don't forget to send me your proud money moments, questions and comments via hotline at emily at Speak to you next week.